Here with Davis, our good pal Ian is off tonight. Uh, he's moving a couch or something again. Didn't he just move a couch like two weeks ago? Uh, yeah, I think I think he's going like one cushion at a time. <laughs> pretty pretty sure. He's an IKEA couch. He's assembling it as he goes. Or? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, good luck to him. Uh, we're also joined by our good friend Mike from South Dakota, who is, uh, you know, in the wake of the uh, presidential debate, I wanted to get on, you know, somebody on here that I felt would just, you know, reaffirm all of my opinions and tell, tell the world how right I am about things, and uh, <laughs> that's the role that Mike will be playing tonight. Oh, you can that. write me the check afterward, just so we're clear on that. <laughs> we're just going to string together sound clips that just make it go, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So, yeah, so we had our first presidential debate last night um, between the two evils, the lesser yeah. of which is hard to say. How did, uh, how did Gary do, Chubbs? <laughs> Gary stood outside. <laughs> oh, uh, you mean your, your little bullshit Facebook banner didn't get him right into the front door? No, unfortunately oh, that's not. Weird. And weird. Uh, Yeah, it surprised me too. Yeah. But... <laughs> Yeah, super surprised. <laughs> anyways, anyways, old, there's still, there's still yeah. multiple debates left. He could get into one of the later ones yet. Isn't there like three total? Yeah, there's, there's I believe a, there, there's two more, yeah. yeah. Well, there's two more presidential, one vice presidential, which oh, no good. one cares. <laughs> Nobody cares about those two crew-cut idiots that are running for vice president. I, I honestly could... Don't quiz me on the vice presidential candidates. Other than one of the the Pence's from Virginia, and my he everybody is. I know in Virginia, I I believe he was former Virginia governor, wasn't he? I think he? they're the, mixing uh, them up. I think it's uh whoever Hillary's guy is. I don't even remember their uh, names. No, I don't either. Because nobody's nobody's right. Like everywhere you see Trump Pence, you see Johnson Weld, you don't see Clinton. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was a little disappointed that that Trump didn't pick Chris Christie, aka the human meatball, from my home state, <laughs> New Jersey, because I would have felt that that really represented me. If Chris Christie <laughs> represents you, then we should just end this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. That's uh, the Three on the Tree podcast. Catch us next week. Yeah. Say goodbye to Mike forever. So don't just just so you're all on the same page. Don't expect any sarcasm from me whatsoever for okay. the tonight. Okay, that's that's just not my mo. Like I said, Italian from New Jersey. We don't we don't even comprehend it. Like putting Head Wilson over here. <laughs> Perfect. Also we, expect we some literary stuff. illusions. So. <laughs> all right. Well. Okay. So Davis. Can I safely assume that you didn't watch the debate? Um, that is a very, very safe assumption. <laughs> I had, uh, I think I had one too many cocktails yesterday. And, uh, you know, lost track of time. Really wanted to watch it. Really, 
really had a hard on for watching that debate, and uh, somehow it just got right by me. Huh. Yeah, yeah. well, that's on par for your Monday nights, huh? Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I texted Davis and Ian yesterday morning and said, hey, you guys should watch the debate so we can do a recap show. And Ian didn't respond, which he never does. Davis no. just texts back, refuse. <laughs> not even a full sentence he didn't even warrant and, that it was just and, and yet here you are so i i suspect a future career in politics from you davis yeah yeah did you read the bill i didn't did you even i read didn't the bill? say that i didn't yeah. say that say one that was, thing mean another yeah. i i actually am running for presidency in 2020 so uh, Excellent. So it's it's going to be you and Kanye. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a lesser of two evil situation too. So we're in the same boat. So okay. So the the debate happened last night. I wait a minute. To, Hold uh, on. Before we get too far into this, uh, burning curiosity. Italian from New Jersey. Right. Yep. Currently in South Dakota? You got it. Why the fuck are you in South Dakota? <laughs> that is um, that is a long story, but basically, I didn't want to be in New Jersey. I guess that would be the quickest summation <laughs> of why I ended up in Dude, South Dakota. <laughs> this guy, he lives right in the middle of the Black Hills in the best motorcycling roads in the entire country. It's a fantastic place. Okay. One so, which I've invited you to multiple times, and you're like, eh, it's a long drive. Eh. Shut your oh, cock, eater. Like <laughs> Ten hours. It's a long, Mike, long drive on one of those cafe racers, but... Do you do you ride, Mike? I do. I just started this year, actually, so... Okay. Well, we, we'll get back into that subject, then. Later, you you can go on with your uh, with your boring talk now, Casey. Okay. <laughs> so I listened to part of the debate, uh, then I watched a bunch of it today. I didn't catch all of it a hundred percent, but I've I've had my fill. Uh, I had enough to give me an ulcer, and that's that's about it. But <laughs> tone wise, I I mean, there's literally there's so much to unpack here considering that neither one of these two idiots said hardly anything substantial. That was the uh, that was the consensus I've heard and everything that I've read today is like it was equally disappointing from both parties. Oh yeah, I was just I was just rhetoric mouth dribble. It was Yeah, and I think what you can meaningless. Yeah. You can say that for Clinton that she was extremely well prepared, which we all kind of assumed she would be. Everything sounded very scripted and rehearsed. You know, I don't feel like there was a candid reaction in the entire debate. It was all just, you know, it was she was prepared for every scenario. Good for her. Because her opponent was not. I mean, and I literally think that he respect, it. I have to say I'm with Trump because I hate preparation. And I am a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of guy, so... Hats off to him showing us the American way of procrastination. I'm totally, I'm totally for that. <laughs> See, I would don't even be with don't you. even think about it. <laughs> it's not like you're going to be the leader of the free world or anything. Why would you have to study up? 
I mean, as as unseriously as he's taken this entire race from start to finish, like why why start now? You know, like it's worked so far, just showing up and puking on the podium. You know, just crapping on some people and and saying peace. <laughs> I I do have to say that was in more seriousness. I saw some different commentaries for obviously that was all that was on the news this morning. And I was even surprised at some of the more leftist leaning media outlets, CNN and whatnot, um, still mentioned that he, he did rein it back a lot, which I guess is maybe, maybe more of a testament of just how bad he used to be, but that he did rein it back a lot. Um, and so in, in my mind, that was actually a little bit disappointing because this was the first like big presidential thing that I really I typically try to not watch because it's just eternally frustrating, right? It's you watch so much of it. I listen to NPR a lot in the car, and after ten fifteen minutes, I'm like, I, I have to shut this off, or I'm going to purposefully run my car into a tree right now. <laughs> so um, I was a little disappointed. I thought I thought it was going to be even more vitriolic and visceral than it actually was. Um, so from an entertainment standpoint, you know, could have done better. Yeah. Well, and I would, I, I mean, I'll give you my consensus up front. I think that Clinton, uh, my initial reaction in listening to the debate, I thought, oh my gosh, Clinton is just stampeding over this guy. But then watching it today, like watching the actual debate rather than just listening, um, I didn't get the same impression I feel like Trump, there's a visual element to the way he speaks, and uh, he didn't come across as like feeble and unprepared visually as he did when it was just solely audio. But my overall consensus was, you know, both of these people are ultra-rich, you know, Washington Wall Street insiders that are both trying to pitch themselves as common everyday people i identify with you joe schmo from nowhere uh i'm just a regular guy i'm a regular lady just like you as as um as hillary t- t- was probably wearing a tw- tens of thousands of dollar you know dress suit and trump is talking about his tax he thinks his tax return or his uh income tax should or is taxable income was somewhere in six in the hundreds of millions of dollars yeah 600 and some million dollars last year 180 that's that's so preposterous that's just in one year right and that's that's income there's no way he took a salary of two-thirds of a billion dollars yeah am i right i mean you know that's that has to be him reckoning appreciation of his total net worth he there's no other way that that he that that has to be how he got that figure am i am it's ridiculous i mean that's there's no way that he made that much money maybe his entire portfolio is worth in that range you know his personal portfolio or whatever but yeah he he's not making 600 some million dollars a year and yeah. I, I think okay. that's that's one thing that was funny that came up in the debates that's come up a lot on TV. I know John Oliver brought it up is um, a lot of people are questioning, like, just how rich is this guy? Because, you know, he paints himself as being, 
you know, the Sultan of the United States. And <laughs> I think everybody looks at his brand, his failing casinos, you know, and a lot of the, the misadventures that he's had as a businessman in the past, you know, 30 years. And thing i i don't know if this adds up i don't feel like this guy is probably as wealthy as he's making it or as successful as he's making himself out to be and clinton did bring that up on the stage which i thought was kind of funny <laughs> mm-hmm. well yeah i mean even uh even john oliver talked about that how uh his value is based on perception of his brand so if if everyone likes the new Trump entity, whatever it may be, uh, stakes, hotels, schools, whatever failed adventure that he's in, if everyone likes it, yes, his, yeah, his perceived value goes up. But Internet's, um, um... yeah, as as far as like what his actual value is, like no one has any fucking clue. Well, and. You know, there was a lot of talking points thrown around and trying to, like, chisel out actual policies out of the stuff that these guys said uh, is somewhat tough. I mean, I think, it, it you know, the, the opening questions were about economics and job growth. And, uh, you know, on both of the, with both of these candidates, you know, if you really dive down into what they're saying, they are diametrically opposed, opposing worldviews about how everything works, you know, um, mm-hmm. Trump's entire plan for, for fixing the economy is to tax imports. That's what it boils down to, you know, well, when we sell into Mexico, you know, there's, there's a tax involved and they have, you know, they, they tax our goods coming in when they sell into the U S there's no tax and we got to stop jobs from going overseas because, you know, we're, and we're going to tell them if you go overseas, you're gonna your goods are gonna be taxed coming into the country when you try to bring them in to sell them. Like his entire economic plan boils down into you know import tariffs. Now, now I don't, and this isn't about my policy political views at all. I don't happen to entirely disagree like that. Uh, Casey, you have a lot more experience in the automotive industry than I do, um, so you could probably speak to this better. But my understanding is that's, I mean, that's the way it is in the automotive industry, especially. Um, and that's why, you know, like Ford, Ford GM, um, Dodge, they don't have or Chrysler or whatever. They don't have huge sales in other markets, especially in like Asian markets. Um, and it's, it's because, you know, like car sales in Japan, our cars are, have a, a pretty heavy import tariff on them. Um, they're, so they're, you know, it's like fifty thousand dollars for a Ford Explorer versus like, oh yeah, eighteen for a Honda Pilot or something. Nobody's so hardly anybody's buying those those vehicles over there. They, um, the the American companies, like for instance, I can't speak for every country, but you know, I was in China earlier this year, and you know, there's a lot of of Ford and GM products driving around in China. Oh they yeah, exist oh, okay. solely off of you know this like. Uh, the Chinese love Americana. They they mm-hmm. they like the idea of having an American car. But these American companies over there are forced to to grapple with, you know, Chinese automakers. Which, I mean, dude, if you if you go look at a Chinese, I went in a dealership called Red Flag. That's one of the the Chinese <laughs> national brands. And I'm looking around in there. I'm like, so. uh 
these are just Nissans with different badges on them. Like, <laughs> I mean, they're literally, they are carbon copies of, of you know, company other companies' vehicles, and there's there's no regulations on that stuff over there. But yeah, you're right. I mean, like, that stuff that's made, you know, in-house in China, I don't think you grab, they have to deal with the kind of tariffs and stuff like that that the U.S. has to for coming into China. Now, I mean, I think in theory, I'm not an economist, but I mean, if 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 that's the rules that we're playing by in other countries, I don't see why we wouldn't, you know, deal similarly with with vehicles and and other products coming into the U.S. Um, but I'm not gonna I'm 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 not sure that we don't have some sort of tariffs on some of the goods that are coming in from these other countries. I'm I'm not totally positive on that. Uh, I'm pretty point. sure I'm pretty sure that we do and and the the stance that Trump took as far as oh, you know, raise the price and everything on the tariffs and everything it it would bump us out of like uh trade negotiations and it it's it's just kind of impossible for like one person to say, "Hey, let's let's just raise the price." And and that happened. That's it's he's an asshat. Not that we didn't know that, but he has no idea how policy works. Um, but yeah, there there is stuff already in place, and it's a it's a universal like across the board. Um, I think where these different values start coming in is when a country themselves also puts uh, x amount of money into that tariff as well. So if we if we send a Buick over to China because Chinese markets love Buicks for some reason, and that's why those pricks got rid of Pontiac. Uh, <laughs> so we have at least one thing to thank them for. Oh my god! <laughs> the biggest piece of shit ever. Burn that crap to the ground. That's what I say. <laughs> well, and you know the, the the flip side of this whole thing too is that. You know, one of the income inequality, and or however you want to phrase it. You know, I mean, there are a lot of people living on shoestring budgets that uh, require assistance from, you know, the federal government, from state governments. A lot of people that are really scraping by, and the people who are hit hardest by, you know, the struggling economy and the lack of jobs and things like that. Those same people are totally reliant on these low-priced goods, a lot of which come from China and Mexico. I mean, there's is there anything in Walmart that comes from here? I would be I would be shocked if you could find something. Um, right. And so this is. I, mean, I can't speak too much. I'm like Casey's. I'm not an economist. I I was able. I studied physics for a little while. I can do some some pretty complex math. But it's if you have me studying economics for more than five minutes i'll just pass out it's just can't wrap my mind around it can't stay focused on it for more than maybe 300 seconds um (laughs) but to me some of these issues it's a it's a tough people want to get bogged down in sort of the details and to me there's always there's always a thematic uh undertone to every issue right and um Mm -hmm. so with with the jobs and Essentially, you could say you could boil it down to Hillary's more, just like you always could with Democrats versus Republicans. Hillary's more 
big government that these gov- that the government is going to pre- pre- um, present jobs to people, and that's where we're going to get this growth from. Donald Trump Republican camp is more private sector. You need businesses to create jobs. That's and that's what will pay the government, and and that's true. The thing is that they're both true, and it's always going to be a balance of the two. You can't have all of one and none of the other. Sure, it, it will it will never work. So I think when people and this is part of the problem of the bipartisan gridlock is that people are being so conditioned to think that it is only one or the other. They're not willing to take that step and be like, yeah, well, I know we could be doing a little bit better to the private sector in my mind, at least. Um, but like, we still need, we still need to invest money through the government in things like infrastructure and give, give incentives to people do like pursuing say like new energy technologies or just, um, you know, innovation technologies, because that's what, that's what really Americans have always been good at. We've been innovators. We have a history of innovation. We create solutions to new problems. We create new problems too, but then we'll try to at least create some solutions for them mm-hmm. and then leave it up to everybody else to, you know, I mean, we made, we were some of the first ones to make, we're basically the first ones to make automobiles. Right. And then, um, you know, the Japanese took, basically a lot of our processes processes and made them better. And now they're making a fantastic product, you know? Um, but it's innovation typically comes on the largest scale out of the U S. And so if we were to get down to any types of policy, I think it's providing an avenue of success for those entrepreneurs and innovators that are here in the U S. Well, and you hit it. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Hillary, on the polar opposite end of the scale, all of her ideas deal with squeezing business, you know, squeezing more money out of business for, for, um, you know, common people that work for them and stuff like that, you know, and, and it's not all bad ideas. I think it's stuff that those businesses should do on their own rather than being mandated to. But when it came down to jobs, I mean, every one of Clinton's major assertions about creating jobs involve government spending. We need to invest mm-hmm. in infrastructure. We need to encourage innovation. We need to do this. We need to do that. You know, spend, 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 spend. I'm fine with that. I am totally fine with that. But Donald Trump actually countered that in about as good a way as he could, you know, saying we can't make the investments in infrastructure. In infrastructure. We can't make the investments in clean energy and things like that because we're already $20 trillion in debt. You know, the the national debt has doubled since Obama took office. And, I mean, where is this money going? We have a massive GDP. We have a massive federal budget that we, you know, whether it's outlined or not, gets spent every year. And, uh, you know, the thing that neither one of these candidates wants to talk about is that, okay, you know, we want shovel-ready jobs. We want investments in infrastructure and stuff like that. Where are we going to make room for this in our budget? Because you're not proposing any cuts. You're just proposing new expenditures. So, um, mm-hmm, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, no, you... Well, <laughs> I just... So, um, I, I, I mean, I totally agree with you, Casey, and this is where... I feel like the left typically talks about taxing the rich and they're not paying their fair share but the really the ultra rich that those like the hyper elite essentially have they're always going to get away with it you know they always 
find ways, loopholes and, and tax codes or putting their money offshore, you're not going to, you're not going to fund the government from those people. And so when you implement a lot of these, you know, a lot of these like tax rates and things like that, what to squeeze businesses, as you put it, Casey, you typically end up squeezing the middle class, the very people that they advocate that they're doing the best for. Exactly. Um, you know, cause by, by, most a lot of distributors of, of BG products um, would probably be considered a big business in in the U.S. Um, by left standards. Say so if they do maybe a, anywhere from one to three million dollars, that's a big business. But in the scheme of things, it's really not. You know, the owner of that might only be taking a fifty, seventy thousand, fifty to seventy thousand dollar a year salary. You know, because they've got inventory to, to upkeep they have employees to pay you know incentives to give back to their customers like so just because you own a business that's that does three million a year uh, so a good example i worked for a eco-friendly pet product manufacturer out of bozeman montana a uh, really really fantastic company actually um did a lot of cool stuff and everything was made there so employed like 70 you know u.s workers in manufacturing setting um did a lot for you know the environment and made like recyclable toys and stuff. So when I left, they were doing about $9 million a year gross revenue. And that's by their standards, that's a big business. So what are they getting hit with a corporate tax of like 32%, you know? Um, and those are the, the CEO uh, whose name is Spencer Williams. He, he was actually um, only, he was either the third or the fourth highest paid person in the company. Um, he actually didn't. He took a smaller salary so that he could give more money to keep good people around and to and to pay um, his workers like a good wage. And those are the kinds of people, the kinds of innovators and like technology leaders and stuff, because people are doing the same things in the tech industry, in the solar industry, or um, renewable energy industry. You know, they're you have those same people that are getting to that point where they're that big now, so they're not big enough to move their company to Ireland and pay less than 1% tax. Um, and, and, but they're getting hit hard. And those are the people that you need to let them grow so that they can hire more people and expand because that's what I think is going to be the best thing for our country. Absolutely. And probably our planet. And, you know, a lot of numbers get thrown around every year around election time. Uh, you know, and one of the one of the Democratic talking points for the last decade has been you know if you make two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year you're doing just fine and you can afford to chip in a little more to the middle but you know these these exact same small businesses that we're talking about small to medium-sized businesses you know a lot of them the vast majority of them probably are s corporations meaning the business itself is taxed as an individual they pay income tax so you know when you pass a if you pass a, a legislation that says that anybody who makes over half a million dollars a year is going to be taxed, you know, 50%, you know, income tax or some ridiculous thing like that, you are hitting businesses and that is costing jobs, you know, and there's a balance here. There's a balance because obviously we need to fund the federal government. We need to fund our state governments and we've got to make sure that, you know, that, the wealthiest among among us is is playing by the same rules as as these little guys, you know, that like like me, like me, a little guy like me. But uh, you know, we have to be aware 
of the ramifications that that kind of legislation has. Because when it's just rhetoric, it's all good. Oh, yeah, well, you know what? That's more money than I make, so screw them. But, you know, that's the stuff that hurts small businesses. That's the stuff that costs jobs, you know, good-paying jobs with benefits and things like that that keep people, you know, off of federal assistance and stuff like that. So, you know, when it when these two, there was a really, you know, a lengthy obnoxious exchange between the two of them and uh you know when talking about tax plans you know hillary's assertion was that you know trump is a rich fat cat that is trying to put together legislation that benefits him and his crony pals you know and not everyday people trump's (laughs) response is uh yeah i'm i'm super rich i'm a businessman and uh you know that's what the u.s needs right now we need somebody to come in here and run this like a business I think it's, uh, you know, to hear somebody like him bragging about his income is so off-putting to the vast majority of Americans. And, uh, you know, especially when you start evaluating his business record, it's not hot. You know, he's had a lot (laughs) of failed ventures that have left a lot of people stranded. So it, it, uh, it was a funny back and forth and, you know, one thing you got to say for Trump, I mean, the only reason that he's made it this far is because when he's presented with scandal, he just owns it. And he did <laughs> over and over and over again. You know, uh, Hillary attacked him for not releasing his tax returns uh, and saying that, you know, he's he's either not as rich as he says he is, he's not as charitable as he says he is, or he doesn't want you to see that he doesn't pay any income taxes because he doesn't. Well, Trump's response was, uh, not paying taxes makes me smarter than you, and I'll release my tax returns when you release the 30,000 emails that you deleted. Yeah, I mean, this was just a cat fight back and forth between these two. But what other candidate on the planet, when faced with the assertion that, like, hey, you don't pay any income tax, you're not playing by, you know, you're not paying your fair share, you're the reason that our country is the way it is, just says, yeah. I don't pay any taxes, and uh, that makes me smarter than you. You should not pay taxes either. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, where do you go with that? You know, that – oh, man, it's it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing to watch I, and I listen do, to. I wonder how many times you could have paused the debate on Hillary's um, on Hillary's face and just like taking a picture of it and – I mean, it was just like textbook. The, the perfect word for it was just like flabbergasted. She's just like, what? Like, like what you said. What do I even say back to that? Like, <laughs> and that's that's what's <laughs> happened to these guys for the last year, trying to fight with Trump. You know, they make an outlandish assertion like that, and he just goes, "Uh, yeah. What's your point?" <laughs> you know, Hillary did a lot of uh open mouth smiling last night which i found unnerving because uh you know not to draw any conclusions or anything but it was a little uh lizard like it was it was she's i'm pretty sure a cyborg or something maybe even a reptilian cyborg i, I give you that one Casey, hey, but there's hey. something I wasn't not entirely put it human about that it. way but yes she is a retarded lizard in a human suit a poorly tailored one at that (laughs) 
Oh, and that was the last we ever heard of Casey. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's a good thing we don't reach more people or else uh, we'd be on a hit list right now. Right? Oh, bring it up. So you, you you asked me why I live in South Dakota. My response should have been the presidential election, right? That's the reason I live in South because there's no people out there and uh, if the shit just hits the fan you all are going to be in, be in it waiting for that's for sure yeah you just uh, you know roll a rock in front of your cave door and yeah, <laughs> sleep it out. I don't even have uh, I don't even have TV at my house took us uh, took us a little while to get internet and cell phone service so huh I I love where you live i i can't even i mean that's that is such an awesome place if if you have not been to uh the black hills of south dakota go it's it's fantastic it's a great place but uh yeah so uh, there was a lot of caddy back and forth between the two of them and uh (laughs) it you know it degenerated a little further into um you know Hillary kind of making the assertion that that Trump is a shady businessman that you know continually screws the little guy. She said that she's run into you know tons of people on the campaign trail who've who've said that at some point or another you know Trump's company refused to pay them out for the work that they did. And again, Trump just says, "Well, maybe they did a bad job." <laughs> Right? Like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> he, he goes, maybe they did a bad job. Maybe I didn't need to pay them. Maybe they, maybe they just did a crappy job and I decided that it wasn't worth what they negotiated. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, see, you know, he follows that up with a response that, you know, hey, look, uh, you know, when I was building in Florida and other places like that, you know, I, I took advantage of the policies that were in place there. I took advantage of the laws. I made them work in my favor. I am accountable to, you know, I'm running a business. I'm accountable to my employees, to my shareholders, to my family. I'm, you know, required by my position to do what's in my best interest and in the best interest of those that I'm accountable to. And, hey, if you don't like the way the laws are laid out, I mean, if, if uh, you know, you have laws that, permit me to screw people on contracts that I've agreed to, then uh, change the laws. You've been here 30 years. Why haven't you changed them? <laughs> we heard, we did hear a lot of that. You've been here 30 years. Why haven't you, why haven't you done anything? Which there's, it got, it just got overly repetitive and obnoxious to me, but there's an element of truth in there, not that Hillary is solely responsible for all legislation passed or and or not passed in the past 30 years, sure. or 26 or whatever. But she does. She represents. She represents a decades-long tradition of of just political entrenchment and, and career politics, where you you know it's like, oh, what what do you want to do with your life? Well, I want to be a senator. Why? Because they get paid one hundred and seventy-four thousand dollars a year tax-free and get a, pe- a government pension for life. Like, it's it's not about the public service. The impression I get, I should say, is that it's not about the public service anymore because it's a career choice. You know, you you choose to go into politics, and that the 
I mean, the scariest thing to me too is that uh, politics and big business, like you said, Wall Street earlier. I mean, it, it, they're so entrenched. If you read any types of articles about the effects of like lobbying and um, uh, on on the government and how that affects legislation, I mean, you have lobbyists that actually write legislation. Uh, I think there was actually the last uh, John Oliver last week tonight uh, bit about lobbying. This is probably the first season of the show where they showed that some maybe it was tobacco or maybe it was oil or something. Some lobbying group actually wrote pieces of legislation and they had convenient. They just like so it would be the most convenient for politicians to just feel it was literally like an ad lib legislation. It had on just blank spots where it was like fill in your name and then sign it. And and it's and measures like that do get have gotten and do get passed and that type of marriage between those two is I think a, a quickly eroding any moral and ethical integrity that the government has but at the same time that we're seeing both sides of that right we're seeing Hillary who represents that political entrenchment and we're seeing. Um, Trump, who represents that big business, that big sort of shady business, who has basically admitted to people, uh, to the public, that he has done that same thing. He's made backroom deals with politicians in order to get a building permit in New York City or things like that. You know, he's, and that is just, it just it blows my mind that those two people can be somehow re- supposed to be re- representing. The United States of America and our population and our best interests on the stage to be our president. Exactly. I mean, the disease that's infecting our country is crony capitalism. Capitalism gets a bad rap because what do we have to reference? For? We have our current crony capitalist system, and literally the two people running for president right now represent the left and right hand, you know, one washing the other quid pro quo relationship of this crony capitalism that has just killed us, that's destroyed our economy, that's driven us into, you know, massive amounts of debt, that's gotten us into, you know, tons of foreign conflicts and, you know, has, has compromised our, our, our law and order in our country. And, uh, you know, that's, I think that's kind of like the logical next place we should go here is, you know, talking about race relations in regards to uh, policing policies and things like that. Um, again, we saw two diametrically opposing views in regards to this issue. Trump obviously asserting that, you know, the problem is that we don't have law and order in these neighborhoods. We need Rift law and order back. Yeah, and he, 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 he just said it over and over and over again. And he didn't give a lot of explanation as to why or, or what he was talking about in terms of law and order. I mean, was he talking about tougher sentencing? Was he talking about uh, draconian curfews in these neighborhoods? <laughs> and, you know, it was actually the moderator that pinned him down to stop and frisk. So, you know, the 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 conversation centered around stop and frisk, and even there, there was two totally opposing views on it. You know, Trump is asserting that it was totally constitutional and it was effective. Hillary, you know, asserting that it, it was unconstitutional and ineffective. I mean, you know, we ought to be able to look at crime stats and tell whether or not it was effective at least. I mean, that's not even a <laughs> – that's a pretty subjective 
or objective sort of subject to take a look at. And I think, you know, even though I don't support stop and frisk at all, and it's the worst thing that could possibly happen in some of these tense neighborhoods right now, um, I think it did reduce crime in New York City. Am I right? Um, I'll take this, Davis, if you don't mind, just because having the, you know, my father grew up in New York City. My mother, father and mother grew up in New York City. Um, dad moved back there after, you know, like when he was 20 years old and lived most of his adult life there. Um, and he said it was really bad in the 70s. Um, he said a lot of neighborhoods in New York, which I mean, were just terrible. Greenwich Village, Hell's Kitchen, this way pre-gentrification of those areas. Harlem was a nightmare. Um, and they, I think they instituted it in what, like the 80s or 90s? Um, I believe so, yeah. So the the tough thing here is if you if you look at it, yes, from the time that they implemented stop and frisk to the time that they removed it, absolutely, crime rates did go down. But it wasn't that it can't be the only factor because there was there was a lot of other things going on in terms of um, urban redevelopment and uh, more money coming into the cities to to redevelop certain areas, putting more of the. the they got they had I can't remember his name I think maybe it was Dinklage and uh, the 70s a really bad mayor of New York City I guess a really ineffective mayor of New York City um, and so there was it, it was definitely a culmination of several factors so I don't know if you can entirely extrapolate I see so that you know data make while it a completely independent variable the so. implementation of stop and frisk coincided with you know a decrease in crime it it may be totally unfair to attribute that drop in crime to st- in crime to stop and frisk. And you know, again, I do not agree with stop and frisk at all. Um uh, the impression that I had, you know, from from that time period from being, you know, basically just just, you know, clockwork orange style watching Fox News at the time. <laughs> You know, they made the assertion that that stop and frisk was a a successful – regardless, right? We have a serious trust problem between police in the inner city neighborhoods and the residents who live there. And, uh, you know, Hillary did advocate some good things on this. Uh, You know, she advocated community policing where, you know, the the cops that are patrolling these neighborhoods need to live there. They need to live there. There needs to be their community that they're taking care of. They need to know the people that are in their jurisdiction. And um, that model has worked really well in some communities like Boston, for instance. They practice community policing, and it's gone a long way to reestablish credibility with the public. I think the absolute worst thing for establishing credibility with the public and trust and a mutual respect is allowing cops to pull over uh, you know, any old black guy that they f- see fit and pat down his balls. I, 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 I can't think of any policy which would further isolate these two groups from each other. And and that's exactly what Trump's advocating. I mean, and, and he did it in a very blunt sort of way. This is what we need in these inner cities. We need, we need police to have the power to just stop anybody they choose and find something wrong. So, 
that was that was tr what Trump's po and I wouldn't say that that's probably Trump's entire policy on on uh, restoring police relations and and law and order in these communities, but that's what it it got uh, boiled down to. So um, that that whole segment of the discussion seemed to me to be the weakest and in my mind nothing was said yes I, I agree hillary said you know we need to come out with community policing and reestablish but i what i think she essentially said was just whatever like of course you of course that's what you need and i feel like everybody knows that like there was no actual plan of implementation no not that they not that presidential debates typically get into the nitty-gritty of the, the, the detail-oriented um of their policies but but there was no there's nothing new there. And uh, Trump, I I felt like all he said was law and order over and over. That's really all he like, said, yeah. He, like, and yeah, the the stop and frisk thing for me is, again, the, so the, the theme that we're working with here, which is a, a theme that's critical to understanding the importance of the society that we live in, which is supposed to be the freest society on earth, is that there's always a balance between freedom and security. You, you can't have, you know, the more of one you have, the less of another you have. The more freedoms you have, the more freedoms the population has, the less secure it's going to be. And the more secure you are, the less freedoms you're going to have. You know, if we were completely free, we would just be anarchists, right? And nobody wants that. We would have no security. And if we were completely secure, we would be in an Orwellian dystopia where, you know, the government dictates basically your every action. You know, oh, you're going to be a firefighter and you're going to be a librarian. Like, and then, you know, you're going to marry this person. There's no, that's, that's the ultimate security. And if you step out of line at all, we just fucking kill you. Um, so you have to have a balance of the two. Sure. And this is where what's, what's tough for people is there's no right answer because I, I believe that I want more freedoms because I'm willing to accept less security for it. But for other people, that might not be the right answer. I totally um, agree with Other people with you. might want and need more and are willing to give up more freedoms because of it. And that's what makes this a diff uh, difficult and um, eternal dialogue that will always be relevant. You know, it would have been relevant 200 years ago, and would have, it's going to be relevant in 200 years if this country is still around. Sure. Um, and, you know, so. it ties into the whole debate about terrorism. You know, you are more likely to die from bee stings than you are to be <laughs> killed by a terrorist. I mean, there's literally almost no chance of any regular person at any point in time being killed by terrorism in the United States. But, you know, we're consistently told by one side of the aisle that we need to hand over all of our privacy rights, all of our, our you know, our, uh, our rights you know, that protect us from unlawful search and seizure and things like that are, you know, everything. We need to hand it all over because of the threat of terrorism. And it, uh, Which is because, because you know what we should be all the more afraid of? If we were to compare it in orders of magnitude, um, you would need to be, I guess it would be like maybe 10 to the, probably 10 to the 5th or 10 to the 6th, like 100,000 to a million times more afraid of going to a hospital because hospital-related <laughs> accidents and like mal malpractice, basically, that kills it's the third largest killer in the in the United States. So like the hospitals basically kill like 130,000 or 140,000 people every year. Sure, like more than more than gun deaths, more than drunk drivers. It's second to 
it's as it goes heart disease so what we're eating is killing us the most (laughs) and then (laughs) which is a whole nother podcast um and then it's like smoking related stuff and then it's hospitals and doctors basically yeah and you know and here we are you know maybe a group of 100 people a 100 muslims out of i don't know how many 10 million in the country that want to like good good statistical probabilities happening there so yeah which um ian and i discussed a little bit a couple of podcasts ago folks if you haven't listened to our conspiracy cast go back and get it it's good stuff (laughs) i haven't heard that one that sounds like a good one (laughs) it's basically just two idiots rambling for an hour and a half but <laughs> the the runner up to the name of your podcast, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that came in second place. Well, so so Hillary really didn't propose any sort of major policy changes or anything like that. She did pay lip service to some you know hot button issues that are that are you know popular with the uh, let's say millennials, the Bernie Sanders, the the. Gary Johnson crowd, things like community policing, uh, mandatory minimums, nonviolent offenses. But, you know, she never once mentioned the war on drugs. She never mentioned any sort of policy changes to to uh, correct those issues. She basically just said, we need to look at community policing. These mandatory minimums, mandatory nonviolent offenses. Am I right? And everybody clapped, and that was that. So yeah, the the thing that was um, most controversial, I would say, about the crime issue in general was Hillary's use of the term implicit bias. Uh, the debate moderator called her out on it, uh, which, you know, a lot of people are going to assert that, like, hey, this guy didn't ask Hillary any tough questions. But, you know, he, he directly asked her to address um, comments that she made about implicit bias in police departments which i think is is you know her her views on that while they may resonate with uh you know some minorities and stuff like that and black lives matter people and stuff i think it's it's a total misrepresentation of the problem you know which i think and we've talked about on this podcast before comes down in a lot of ways to the war on drugs you know, not only are these laws ridiculous and they punish nonviolent offenses with with prison time and and a criminal record, but they are enforced against minority communities at an astonishingly higher rate than they are against Caucasian communities. And you know, right now, talking about racism is like uh, that's that's the uh, the the stock answer. That's the that's the typical like left wing thing to to attribute it to. But when it comes down to it, I really think that that's that's misrepresenting the problem as a whole. I think if we were to change, you know, modernize our drug policies, especially in terms of things like uh, you know marijuana and some of those lesser drugs like that, um, and and correct our police procedures. 
you know, and implement training and stuff like that, de-escalation training and some of the stuff that we, you know, that we ask our soldiers to go through and that we, you know, we hold them accountable to. If we did the same thing with police, it would solve a lot of these horrible situations that end up leading to things like the, the riots in North Carolina right now. So I think, you know, while Hillary did, like I said, pay lip service to some of those, you know, key terms that, that everybody was looking to hear about, I don't, I don't think she proposed anything meaningful in terms of, uh, you know, her approach to lessening crime, making neighborhoods safe, and, you know, reestablishing that relationship between police and their communities. I'm on board with you. I'm, I still want that check. That mattress is all over. So I agree 100%. Good. Yeah. Hey, you're doing your job. Good for you. <laughs> um, you're being speaking, paid for. speaking of which, my yeah. Kratom is kicking in right now. Um, I'm enjoying like my last, uh, you know, three days of freedom here before the stupid freaking DEA, you know, uh, uh, bans it. Very upset. Oh, your audio is is real rough, bud. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty hot doo doo. Yeah, your audio got real fuzzy there for a for a second, Mike. Can you repeat that? Yeah, you hear me any better right now? A <laughs> marginally. Not <laughs> <laughs> right now. Sorry, folks. He's in a. He's he's out on the frontier. He's in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Uh, they just got internet like three years ago. They're still figuring it out. Uh, he actually still has comes his, on a disc. Yeah, he's got his iPhone attached to a, a like an old phone line right now. <laughs> an AOL floppy disk that he got at the grocery store yeah i'm like where did you find the uh you know the phone line to uh <laughs> midi port adapter that you got oh i have to carry around my own satellite array it's, uh, <laughs> it's about six foot radius uh yeah it's pretty pretty sophisticated technology when you, when you open it up does it have like a little dish that rotates while you're talking is there another type? I mean, come on. It's got to do that. It beeps, too. Bloop. <laughs> Just like a computer in a movie. Computers in movies <laughs> always make, like, really hokey computer noises. Doesn't matter if it's in, like, a, you know, a throwback 70s movie or, like, you know, a sci-fi movie that's supposed to take place a thousand years from now. It's always like, beep, beep, boop, beep, beep, boop, boop, beep. <laughs> Everybody, everybody knows that two thousand years from now, people will still adore the sounds from the nineteen eighties. So yes, <laughs> man, I'm guessing I'm coming in a little bit better right now. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I, I'm really yeah. loud and clear. Somebody was probably streaming some porn in the hotel, and that's why it only lasted for a minute or two. <laughs> yeah, around nine o'clock, the hotel internet <laughs> really goes into the crapper, and you're like, huh? Listen for the sound of slapping. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I live near Colorado, which obviously the only state right now that has complete recreational legality of marijuana. And um, as far as I know, the statistics are still all incredibly positive. Money added to the state revenue, state bond 
budget, um, violent crime and nonviolent crime down significantly, uh, less burden on the prison systems there, the state, uh, mostly the county jails and everything. Um, so I think that the and war on drugs... drug overdoses down ex- exponentially. Oh, is it? Oh, oh yeah. They, they, better. Um, painkiller overdoses are down like 30%, 25% or something like that. I mean, it's a it's a fantastic figure. All all signs point towards go right now. Yeah, yeah. I, it's that, I feel uh, like that whole mm-hmm. war on opioids that's coming out, it's plaguing the world. Just give everyone pot; it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll it'll help, right? <laughs> I'm willing Yourself. to give it a shot. You still uh, chill the fuck out about it, you know? <laughs> this is true. Yeah, that. So I thought that was fun. I mean, and granted, I didn't see the entire debate, but from the good two thirds of it that I did watch, I there was no mention of the war on drugs, from what I could tell. No, and it's interesting. I mean, it's inextricably tied to. Um, the race issue and the policing issue, which I think, I think that the I think both of those things are blown out of proportion by the media. Um, but I also I think the racism still exists. It's just it has transformed. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a 1960s style racist who genuinely believes that you know a person is less than human because of the color of their skin. Unless you um, go to say. Reddit, 4chan, Imager, <laughs> Tumblr. <laughs> okay, you know what? And there, there might be a reason I apparently have not tried to really get on those sites. <laughs> because I think that the... You could do... There's another podcast idea on you. How the internet is making cowardly just mean-spirited people out of all of us because you know that any of those people they're only saying it because they're hiding behind the anonymity of the internet and if you were to go on there and be like i think you're all full of shit here's my address come say something about it or like meet me at this place come say something about it none of them would (laughs) it's it's the truth well 90 percent of them are 12 yeah yeah exactly and Um, at a certain age Kids just like to say really horrible things because they think it's funny. So <laughs> I think I, that age is like thirty-three. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure. Oh, the, yeah, maybe. Yeah, people yeah. are falling out of it later and later in life now. It used to be like six, twelve to sixteen. Now it's like twelve to yeah, 30, maybe forty. I would. Say. Yeah, I'm gonna say at least forty because I I feel no <laughs> no notion of slowing down. <laughs> so then so what we're saying shit. is there's only like a 10 or 15 year gap maybe 20 years but i feel like then you start getting old again and you can get away with saying the most batshit insane stuff and mean things so we should we should we should really get it in while we can huh yeah, which is like the, almost uh, almost stretched to our entire lives now so i guess we could pace <laughs> which ourselves. is really if you look back in history i'll bet you that's what happened to germany but, you know the 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 dis- the age gap discrepancy kept getting like less and less and less, and then till finally they're you know marching around in outfits burning juice. 
<laughs> oh, God. And they did it without the it internet. Takes. So, you know. That's a good point. They were way ahead of their time, I guess. <laughs> Visionaries. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, I yeah. can't wait for that to be taken out of context. Uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but oh, no, if so I know I Chubbs, the... he's just going to take it straight out of the podcast. <laughs> hey, I don't edit yeah, that. Might... <laughs> that's, that's, that's dynamite right there. That's good stuff. <laughs> This is ed- this is edgy. This is raw. So, at the end of this whole mess, um, <laughs> it's funny. I I think I don't think anybody won any votes last night. I think the the Trump lobby still thinks Trump won. The Clinton lobby thinks Clinton won. And I still think there's like this uh, this segment of like the you know five to ten percent of voters that they're fighting over. That are still like, man, I hate these two. Yeah, boy, I hate them. I I do really think that the number of I think voter turnout is going to be at an all time low. I I'm pretty sure because all you hear from either camp is well, you have to vote this way so that you don't you know so the other person doesn't win. And that doesn't that intrinsically doesn't motivate people. People are motivated more by cathartism and. and feel the thing of doing the right thing so like if it's somebody you can get behind you can you really believe in you're much more motivated to actually you know put the video game the playstation controller down or put your iphone down and actually go out and vote on november 7th but if you're not if you're just like if you're like oh i don't really want that person to win, but i don't want that person to win nobody's gonna fucking go who's gonna who's gonna go who's gonna take their time out i'm passionate about gary johnson so I'm probably I'm gonna vote. I, yeah, I wasn't even gonna vote in this election until I got more informed on Gary Johnson because it's just like what what difference does it make to me? I don't know if it really matters to me one way or another which one of these two idiots wins. And I, you know, it's funny because this is what we're come down to. You know, is these two morons. And if there was one reasonable person in the room, that person would win by default. I mean, right. they, you know, Trump is such a, a loudmouth moron that appeals to such a small segment of the American populace. And Clinton, on the other hand, is just – she's the archetypal career politician that people hate that's so unpopular right now. If there was one person in the room, like if there was – you know, I – I mean, I'm obviously biased towards Gary Johnson, but let's just say they, the Republicans had nominated somebody that was not so despicable. If they would have nominated, you know, John Kasich, he would be walking away with this right now just by virtue of being like, you know, not them. Yeah, just by virtue of being Same. not Hillary. Yeah. <laughs> the Democrats, you know, I think if if they would have, ele- I mean, Bernie Sanders, he was. He he is appeals to a certain you know very strongly to a certain crowd. I think he would have had a tough time, you know, uh, shaking off the the socialism. Yeah, the stigma the stigma that comes along with the the being a democratic socialist. But gosh, I'm hard pressed to even think of what one of the other candidates was in the Democratic race. But you know, anybody reasonable from the Democratic side would probably be walking away with this right now too. It's just these are the worst two, and they are the 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 ideal candidates to run against each other, you know. Because Hillary, 
if she had to run against a middle of the road, you know, milk toast Republican like Mitt Romney, she would lose. Oh, absolutely. But and here's the other thing: Hillary, Hillary, actually sh- completely shot herself in the foot. Um. By well, by by being corrupt, um, and and colluding to and conspiring with the DNC to get the nomination over Sanders, regardless of regardless of playing by the rules, um, by cheating the system and having that come out. That there, there were Sanders had a lot of support. I mean, millions of supporters, um, and a very large number, a proportion of those people, at least from my from what I sort of gather will not vote for her. They probably won't vote at all, but still they're not they they absolutely will not vote for Hillary and why would they? And there's you know, a they, sizable con- you know contingency of those people that are still going to write in Bernie Sanders. I mean, they've sworn a, an oath basically to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. But, you know, Jill Stein is a, you know, she does appeal to some of the I mean, Jill Stein's not very good at the game yet. So, you know, I I don't think she's going to garner a ton of support in this election. Gary Johnson, uh, I love Gary. I love his policies. I'm a, you know, I'm kind of a middle-of-the-road libertarian at heart. I think Gary's still got a long ways to go in terms of, you know, learning to handle that public stage. But, uh, you know, the the big thing, and we keep getting in these exchanges on Facebook and stuff like that about, you know, wasted vote— you got to make sure that Hillary doesn't get in. You got to make sure that Trump doesn't get. In. I mean, you're just seeing all this ridiculous vitriol from both sides. Look, if if you believe wholeheartedly that both of these two are wrong for the job and you identify more with a Gary Johnson or a Jill Stein, your vote is not wasted casting it for those people. If each one of those if both of them get at least 5% of the of the popular vote this election, Next time around, their parties are going to have federal funding. They're going to be an actual, you know, a, a, a real competitor in the next election. The best possible thing that could come out of this election is that in 2020, we have four candidates debating for the role of president. That's what yeah, I'm hoping to, be to see. One of them. <laughs> yeah, and, and Davis is our, our shoe-in candidate. Mm-hmm. So I won't be eligible till it'd be the 2028 race. It's too bad. Got a lot to offer. Young piece of shit. I will have (laughs) ruined our country by then. So (laughs) don't even. I'm 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 actually counting. I'm counting on somebody ruining our country before I'm you know 35 anyway. So yeah, yeah. It's (laughs) funny that it's like a rule that your your reproductive system has to be out of commission by the time you run for president. <laughs> oh, speaking of, hold on, hold on. Um, did Trump have flowers there? I don't know. Flowers? I don't know. Uh, he was he was threatening he, he, to put Jennifer Flowers in the in the front row of the debate. She's you know one of one of Bill's old squeezes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Little side piece. Which I mean, Bill's a scumbag. Well, I don't I'm... like Hillary. But come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that would have been pretty underhanded. It would have been oh. know, 10 years later, pretty hysterical. It, yeah. Um, it wouldn't so have the, really well, been out of character for him or, or you know. No. 
it wouldn't have it wouldn't have upset the apple cart in the debate. It just would have been funny. Well, Mike, your uh, your audio's rough again. Yeah, you're going all robot and uh, shit. Fucking robot. Just wait. Just just give that uh, North Dakota Wi-Fi a little time to catch its breath. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I feel like okay. On on a closing note here, um, okay. there has been a lot of theories thrown around online uh, about the idea that maybe Trump really doesn't want to win that bad, that maybe this is like a practical joke that's just gone too far or a publicity stunt that, that you know, he didn't intend to, to continue for this long. Um, I've heard a lot of people talk about the idea that they, they think that, you know, especially after him aligning himself with, uh, oh, Roger Ailes and, you know, the ex-Fox News tycoon and some of the other personalities that have jumped on board with him, that, you know, they think that Trump is is using this as a stepping stone to start his own media company or something similar. Uh, what do you guys think of that? Do you give any credence to that idea? Um, you know, I, I've heard that uh, that theory as well, that this is, I don't know, kind of him just uh, building up his name because his name is his money. And um, if that's the case, he's really doing a great job just fucking us. <laughs> like, he, he's I, I. There's no better way to put it. Like he is just he is doing the absolute best job at ensuring that like we're we're stuck with a turd because that's that's the only person that can fight with a. With a douchebag of that magnitude, which in this case is Hillary. So, Third sandwich, yeah. 2016. <laughs> yeah. So he's really, he's really just doing a fucking number on us. If if he's not actually serious about it, which, in all honesty, I, I fucking hope not. I, I hope he's not serious at all. But uh, yeah, I don't know. In the meantime, yeah, he's just he's just fucking us. Cool. I. So I don't put any value or credence into the conspiracy theories because I've heard theories that he's actually he's running and running so terribly in order to get Hillary elected so that she owes him favors or what whatever. Um, so I've heard that side of the conspiracy too. What it all boils down to is the, the reality that one of these two people is probably going to be our president is really sinking in and to me it's starting to matter less and less because I do I want to stem, do I want to commit seppuku and disembowel myself or do I want to drink some <laughs> fucking battery acid you know those are pretty much my choices they're both going to suck terribly um, I guess not to continue on with this analogy uh, otherwise I'd be you know, immortal but life will go on is the main thing it's you know, whoever gets elected, no matter how terrible they are, I don't think that the country is actually going to collapse due to, you know, this this one person getting elected into office. Is it going to have serious repercussions? Yes. Are, are either of them going to get elected to a second term? I seriously doubt it. Um, 
So I'm just going to try to pucker up and and get ready for, for four years of shit um, and hope to make it through somewhat unscathed by the end of it. Yeah, and I, you know, it's funny how uh, how different my train of thought is towards the whole thing than it was like a year ago because, <laughs> you know, my, my thought process a year ago was like, who cares? Your vote doesn't matter. You know, even if the president switches, you know, the gangrenous hand behind the scenes that's moving the pawns, that's not going to change. You know, basically, this is a ceremony, a ceremonial position and public policy and international foreign policy, things like that, are just going to continue uninterrupted the way that they did when Obama got elected. So I'm having to kind of remind myself of that, that idea and try to take some comfort in <laughs> In that, in that notion, solace, which yeah. is is ridiculous, we're down to taking comfort in the idea that there's a you know a Bilderberg group of reptilians that control the whole <laughs> system. Anyways. But uh, yeah, what are you gonna do? You just keep on living, right? You just keep on living, and the only thing of any weight whatsoever in this whole mess is that the next president is probably going to be selecting quite a few Supreme Court judges. And that can drastically alter you know, public policy and some of our other things, especially if, I don't know, say Trump you know, chokes on a dildo and dies, and now Mike Pence is elected. <laughs> you know, he's putting those, those judges forward, and we get you know, James Dobson and Jerry Falwell Jr. as Supreme Court judges. That uh, that could be a reality, and that ipso facto, if that applies, <laughs> who cares? This was <laughs> a positive note. One last. We're all gonna note die. To on. Yeah, we're all gonna die someday, and someday the the sun is gonna burn out, and the earth is gonna freeze, and no one will remember Donald Trump's stupid hairdo or Hillary <laughs> yeah. Clinton's fake lizard smile. <laughs> so Sleep tight and, uh, and don't move to South Dakota because your vote actually doesn't count. Like, actually doesn't count. We have three electoral <laughs> electoral college votes. <laughs> it, it literally, it literally, it doesn't matter who I vote for at all. It doesn't matter. So, at yeah. least it's on the rest of you guys. I can say that at the end of the day, I can be like, no, it's all your fuckers' fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think as as long as we can, at the end of this whole deal. Point at somebody else and say, "This is your fault." That's good enough for me. If anything, that's what we—that's uh, what we learned from Trump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can point finger. our our tiny, tiny, minuscule little fingers yes, at each little other. baby hands. <laughs> oh, Marco Rubio, you prick! <laughs> All right, folks. That was a long one. Thanks for sticking through it with us. Uh, we didn't. We covered maybe half of the topics, but I don't care about the other segments. Neither one of them said anything substantial about nuclear weapons or foreign policy. Uh, I don't care about Trump's comments about women because we all know he's a douchebag. Um, good enough. Yeah. Good enough. Yeah, really, I, I think everyone was hoping to see, like... Trump be Trump and and just freak out and say horrible <laughs> things and he didn't do it. 
and and Hillary was also reserved, and she didn't get attacked and and have to like rear back and start spinning venom. So all in all, it was just a it was a disappointment. I I have to s- recite one of my jokes from uh, Facebook this week. Um, oh good, <laughs> this guy who is a very conservative dude and is always like bringing the. Uh, the ultra-religious conservative Alex Jones sort of point of view to my posts. Uh, he, he's, he, was, he, he continually says that Gary, Gary Johnson's a pothead. He's a stoner. And, and my response to him this time was, look, man, Gary Johnson might be a stoner, but if you don't think that Donald Trump has sniffed a, a line of coke out of a stripper's butt crack at some point, you're kidding yourself. <laughs> I did see that. That was. A... <laughs> I thought, how true? How very, very. How true. very true. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm sure he's done a line off a crank once or twice. Yeah, probably, probably just that, which is tough. I mean, you La- know, once or a... twice last night, probably. <laughs> yeah, if the right. boner has a real curve to it, I mean, you gotta, you gotta adjust your neck quite a bit to get the whole line in. Right. So. Props to him. Good work, Donald. You're very coordinated, and uh, I don't mind your small hands. I think they're cute. (laughs) On that note, thanks for joining us, Mike. It was a pleasure. We're going to have you on again, hopefully sometime when you have actual internet. Yeah. It is, believe it or not, better at my house, so I will be looking forward to that. Thank you for having me, Casey. (laughs) David. (laughs) And as for you guys... uh, Like, comment, subscribe, whatever. Share it with your pals. This is a message that needs to go out to a larger audience. I think you can all agree on that fact. So, uh, rep us, folks. Anyways, have a great day. Have a great week. And we'll talk to you next time. And remember, Davis 2020. Later. Later.